Hello, everybody, and welcome to Game Studies Review. My name is Alex Lane. I am one of your co-hosts. I teach game things. I do game stuff. Cody, what's up? I'm, I'm the other co-host, and I, I do game stuff, too. And uh, we, we talk about games and game studies academically. And today we're going to talk about porny, porny, sexy, porny, porn sex. More specifically, platform-produced heteronormativity, a content analysis of adult video games on Patreon. From, Indeed. It's, it's an article from the future, Alex. Tell us about the authors and how you time-traveled to get us an article from 2023 here on December 20th of 2022. Well, obviously I'm magic, so step one. Um, but we already knew that. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I don't know. It was just out early access, I guess. Maybe we pay extra through our university or something. I don't know. Idea. Um, but the, the author, one of the authors, had posted I Twitter researched the folks who wrote this um and they did post it back in may oh, um okay. an open access version of this sweet so we are going back in time we're going forward in time i have whiplash um i also i wanted to ask you what your feelings on trigger warnings or content warnings were because as i was researching i was thinking oh this that we get into some potentially upsetting topics on the podcast today and i and i was looking up the the twitter uh pages of the authors and somebody right at the top coincidentally had posted an article that totally it was a research study that totally shredded trigger warning saying that the they did a ton of different analyses of them um but that they actually do nothing except to increase anxiety for people as opposed to having no trigger warning. So actually, it ends up being more mentally taxing to have them for your listeners, viewers, readers, than to not have them. I was curious what you thought. Um, well, I think I remember hearing something anecdotally about those kinds of findings, the anxiety inducing effect of content warnings. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me like just plainly addressing the content of the the talk gives people a pretty gracious way to bow out if they're like yeah not for me and maybe the title alone um does that that we're going to be talking about adult video games yeah uh, but i think it's useful and important for folks to know also uh so consider this your content warning that part of the subject and you know content matter of the research is on non-consensual uh, sex acts in the video games that they're studying. And so if that's something that is, you know, not somebody's um, in their in their uh, kind of comfort zone uh, or something they'd rather not, you know, uh, listen to today, then they can take a kind of graceful uh, exit from from the recording now. Can you tell us about the authors? Yeah, I can with full confidence and um, and zero reason to be. I can say all of their names short. <laughs> and so there are three authors, Petri Lankowski, the other two authors here, Tomas Opperly and J.T. Harvainen. They're both at Tempere in okay. Finland. Uh, it, all all apologies to the authors for pronunciation or or in my case mispronunciation and you could put it on twitter pages that's where i looked or 
and they, one of them doesn't have a Twitter, but they have an Instagram. So you can put your pronunciation on there, and then I would do a better job if you I should, care about I should such put, things. I should put pronunciation of of my last name on on the 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 bird app. That's a really uh, good idea. I, yeah. I like that trend. It just like it just clears it up, makes it so easy. Yeah. So they, um, all three authors, publish prolifically. They all publish about adult content. They all publish about um, video games. They run labs. They do fancy studies. These are three people who know what the hell they're talking about. And so it shows. This is this is a great article for all of your kind of playfulness in calling it. Uh, what was it? Porny, porny porn, sex, sex porn. porn. Yeah, porny porn, sex uh, porn. I thought it was a strong article. So can you tell us a little bit more of what it's about since yeah. you picked it? I'm going to dig all in. So I picked this because for many, many years, I have thought that we vastly under discuss the role of sex in video games, not sexualization, um, not sexuality, but act the actual acts of sex. Uh, the United States, when you study localization, which we talked about last week, we heavily um, take out actual sexual content. And I'm talking totally consensual, totally kind of, it could be on daytime TV type sexual activity, that kind of stuff, if you talk to localizers, is taken out of video games to the United States all the time. We are, what do you call it? Puritanical. What are you, what, what's the pearl clasping? Pearl clutching. It? Pearl clutching. You, said you that clutch last at your pearls. It's yes. the puritanical roots of, of American evangelicism. So we can violent it up. We can have blood literally everywhere. We, oh, yeah. can, we can have, um, you know, inappropriate sexual suggestive content but like when it actually comes to like two people consensually engaging in anything that's even remotely sexual it's been out yeah. of video games you can we, show you can show people getting you know slaughtered and hacked apart but you can't show a female nipple yes exactly and um and it's so interesting because the few games that do go on to play uh with these topics people love it like i think back to the the fem shep the mass effect ability to create big meaningful relationships with different npcs people love it so that's why i picked this article i thought yes it is about time we got some more um discussion of this topic so i pulled a few quotes here just to give you a quick rundown of what the authors are doing Here's a couple quotes. Research, recent research, this is the context of the article. Recent research has indicated that on average, more people, patrons, are funding pornographic digital games on Patreon than other non-adult digital games. So pornographic games getting more funding um, than regular digital games, than non-adult digital games. I guess I shouldn't say regular because if it's more popular, maybe the adult uh, pornographic games are the regular ones, I don't know. Here's another quote. We assume that the games on Patreon that are the most popular among patrons and receive the most funding from them can provide useful initial indication of what constitutes popular content within adult video games. So I think they kind of bounce around on what the main emphasis is and what they're researching, but they study the top 25 most popular uh, and most funded video games. And then they do a, a check with content on some of the ones that are not on the list just to make sure there's not like something exclusive to the top 25 that they are missing. Yeah, it was an N of 54, if I remember correctly. 54, exactly. And that's going to be important as we break down their findings here. Uh, they had two main questions. One is a two-parter. Uh, what kind of pornographic content do the games contain? And is there a difference 
a sub question of this. Is there a difference in pornographic content between the top funded adult games and those receiving left funding? The second question is, uh, I have a cut on my tongue. So if I go like, <laughs> that's uh, not my fault. That keeps happening. I feel like that's, that's not good for, for recording fidelity. I know that's what I'm saying. It's because of the winter. I'm going to blame the winter. Uh, to what, here's the second question. To what extent do the pornographic conventions in these adult games reflect the aesthetics and cultures of digital games more broadly? So two parts, what's in them? And do they reflect what's happening in games more broadly? And they kind of dive into, do they reflect what's happening in adult content pornography more broadly too, a little bit. Um, so key findings here, the remarkable orientation of pornographic video games from a predominantly heteronormative perspective, common depictions of non-consensual sex, sex, and asymmetrical power relationships resulting in sexual exploitation and exotic othering through the deployment of aesthetics commonly associated with Japan. This is uh, the main themes that they dive into um, that they're most, uh, most remarkable or most statistically remarkable findings and the design they sampled 54 games they used uh patron pa uh, patreon where the devs use patreon and they were able to the researchers needed to be able to play the games or view videos of the gameplay the game had the 18 plus tag and contained visuals of intercourse or genital touching they used a directed content analysis um my my gut about their methods were thorough I they thought, also did they also did um asset analysis so they either played yes. the game they watched playthroughs of the games or they looked at the assets of the game and they said uh explicitly that they tried to do at least two of those yes. for for every game which yeah i thought that was uh pretty thorough i like i had that. the number of of the ones that they were actually able to do the asset analysis of i thought i had it written down here it's some it's we'll, we'll get to it at some point um but yeah the fact that they were actually able to dig into those assets i thought was my gosh so i d i don't think they're gonna get much 40. more thorough 40 40 of the 54 games like that's wow yeah. wow Impressive. so i don't know how long and, and they're th these authors while they do um they are prolific in this particular topic they're publishing about other stuff too they have other yeah. stuff coming out like this year sure. last year i'm like wow that's i don't know if, I, I don't know if you can assign a bunch of undergrads to do this research for you they got well, they got more time in the day than I do. I think they're uh, they're on that what Swedish time or that yeah. European time. They know. get they get more time than us, right? That's how it works. Yes, I think that's clearly how it works. Um, <laughs> so if if you're looking for um, something that has a super solid methodology, this is it. Really, or methods at least, very solid. Um, so what are the contributions of this? I tried to make a list here for what people might find. Um, a reason enough to go in and read the article so here yeah. are some things there's a great dive into the history of porn games it's it's quick but i i felt like much better than i've it's really ever read it's a great it's a gloss good, yeah so history of porn games uh essentially blocked in the west until the internet uh until internet dispersal was possible um games more pornographic games were wildly disseminated in japan during this time in the and the genre continued to grow there on but at every turn the publishing companies were trying to block them in the united states obviously that are you making, didn't are you making fully puns? happen alex lane are you making puns it's so funny because i was like you're going to be an adult on this podcast and then I all i kept no me I'm, oh. i was telling this myself i'm like oh, alex okay. you're not going to say porn sex sex porn sex 
and you're not going to put the word dissemination in 400 times. And I did both of those things. For, for our listeners who are not aware of the etymology of the word dissemination. Or seminal. Or seminal. It's rooted in, in semen. Mm-hmm. And um, therefore, in, in some academic circles, is um, seen as unsavory uh, in its history and kind of massage noir. Uh, and so typically it's published or, you know, uh, synonyms other than uh, semen rooted uh, constructions are used. I will say also that while I'm having a lot of fun with this, the research is no joke. And there, good. Are, there are no puns. They don't take anything lightly. They also don't approach the topic with any judgment for the most part, one way or the other. They're like, this, th- these are the findings. Here's our uh- research. Um, okay, I would good. I would temper my reaction to that a little bit, but okay. yeah, we'll yeah. put a pin in it. Sure. Well, anyway, so I'm I'm uh, I'm being a little silly, but this research is not silly. So uh, here we go. Uh, porn devs use participatory design, uh, which I thought was a very fascinating finding. They find the you they let the users vote on content. They design their own sex scenes. Um, that depending on the level of Patreon, they let them have an influence over different aspects of the game, and they thought that was. Um, that was worth noting. Uh, the the authors talk about platform distribution of porn games, uh, Nutaku and Steam, that both um, that both do this as well. It's not just Patreon. Uh, gatekeeping. There's a lot of interesting gatekeeping stuff talked about, like who and what is, are putting the standards on these uh, games when they're blocked. A lot of times, it's the banks, uh, PayPal. They go into Patreon's uh, just expanded the not safe for work policy, restricting things like incest and sexual depiction of minors. However, they very clearly state, quote, we define pornographic material as real people engaging in sexual acts such as et cetera, et cetera, masturbation, sexual intercourse on camera. And very clearly that pornographic games aren't porn. As as long as they're not using photographic uh photo realism yep. in the gameplay visual aesthetics if they are you know if it's like visual novel with you know porn stars being filmed sure. in a kind of choose your own porn adventure that would get flagged that would. but these are not and yeah, that these... is the sort of uh loophole that is allowing them to uh to thrive on patreon which um which is super fascinating so uh they here's the findings so their first question of what kind of pornographic content do these contain um there is a wide variety of sexual behavior depicted in these games however most partner configurations were hetero and cis uh, many of the games depict sex with family members like step etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, in every single one of these cases the player is a male uh a male figure in the game. Uh, 38% of the games include BDSM, and the authors do a nice job of uh, not conflating BDSM with um, another category, sexual glorification of violence, because there is consensual consensual BDSM in here that they talk about. Yep. Uh, 83% of games include exhibitionist sex. 76 include voyeurism, where the player is, you know, being a voyeur or being voyeured. Uh, non-consexual sex uh, is available in roughly 60% of the game games. Players act as the abuser in these game in these this 60% in 75% of them. Um, 
the victim in 25%. Mind control or magic is used in 20% of those games. Um, through things such as like vampirism and, 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 and you know, like wizards or whatever. Uh, Non-hetero and fetish content was often opt-in in the t- top 25 uh, games, not the focus. It was an additional thing that the player did not have to participate in. Correct. Ant- findings that address the question two, question two to remind you was to what extent do the pornographic convention in these little games reflect aesthetics and culture of digital games in general? Um, they found half of the games roughly showed a map system. Many had resource management, player stats, attitude systems. Most player characters were male, 81%. Only 3.7% let you pick male or female. Less than 2% of the main playable character was non-white. 95% of games had non-white PC uh, NPCs, however. 67% of the games had NPCs with large breasts. 68% had characters with large penises. So we have the hyper male, hyper, not, not female, hyper womanization. Uh, 53% had inventory systems. 59% had attitude systems. Sex is depicted often as a progression of events in the games. Like you don't just dive into the sex, but there are many, many steps that move up to it. 96% of the games, uh, the choices of the player influence how the games progressed. So you could make a mistake. You could, you know, ruin the vibe or there, there, it's not just like sex simulator. It's it's exactly, you know, there is a narrative. There are ludic mechanics that are incentivized through kind of progression. Exactly. Uh, there is a super fascinating discussion of homonormativity, which is uh, homosexual behaviors that do not contest heterosexual ones. Also, um, people often talk about this as skinning. So like you take a heterosexual situation and you just slap to uh homosexual bodies in place of the hetero ones and you call that oh look we have this great um this great variety of sex scenes but really you're just putting different skins on it uh overall most the games are from mostly male perspective hetero perspective similar to mainstream porn and mainstream games uh there seems to be a fear of queer characters especially male queer characters just like in video games, uh, non-consent in 60%. And they mention, interestingly enough, in many of the games, um, the, they played into this narrative that, uh, comes up in pornography and other areas quite a bit, uh, where if the rape is done correctly, the victim would then start to consent. So a disturbing playing playing into some really terrible kind of tropes about yeah there's a there's a name for that theory uh or that whatever that is but um i didn't write it down but uh those were the findings and the contributions cody gaps or responses to the contributions here anything i missed uh no i would just add i mean given that it's in the title i'll draw attention back to their sort of discussion of homonormativity uh because i thought that that was really pretty profound and their um attention to how the games that show up in their content analysis include homosexual behaviors it is almost always in such a way uh that it does not confront contest or discomfort heterosexual 
sort of attitudes. Mm -hmm. The the queering of games is never through, you know, um, you know, the actual content it is through okay so we've got you know uh the model uh for the pc and the model for an npc and there's an oral sex act involved and we can just change the you know npc to look like a man instead of a woman if we can get some some of them lgbtq funding patron dollars uh and that's an easy kind of skin swap and we don't actually have to think about what sort of queer intimacy looks like in design or narrative it's yep. just plug and and play um and i think they do a really good job of talking about that they also do a really good job mm -hmm. of talking about their own sort of gaps and limitations and yep. avenues for further research such that they made um, you know, my job in this case, since I, I agreed to talk about the kind of gaps of the article really easy. Um, so they identified uh, the the gap by recommending, quote, that in future studies on the intersections between gaming and pornography, whiteness should be further developed as an issue, end quote. And I think what they mean is developed as an issue is like uh, explored as a phenomenon or uh, component in research, like they want to see it paid more attention to. There's something interesting going on with whiteness in uh, the the intersection of games and porn. And to and tie that back to these statistics, so less than 2% of the characters you get to control uh, are non-white, but there are, in every game almost, there were non-white NPCs. So there's something right. about othering and sexuality yep. happening there. I would love to. And to I read think an I think that. the the like one point nine percent where you're not white is the one where you're an android, right? Yeah. It was yep. probably like you know result of one, and because it was fifty four, I don't know, I don't know the numbers, but yeah, so that's, they do that's dive super into that. interesting, I don't right? Either, but... uh, they also do a a wonderful job when they're in their limitation section. Mm -hmm. They talk about um, representation as a limitation because of their use of convenience sampling. Uh, though their method of targeting the top twenty five funded games does mean uh, that they add those games have more funds to develop than other games. So while it is limited because of convenience sampling, the the sample that they chose for convenience are some of the most funded instances of these games. Mm -hmm. uh, they also have an important note that the games researched are often in perpetual development, meaning that, uh, quote, the analysis might not represent the games in their later stages of development, end quote, because the model is such that they don't they want their patrons to keep funding the game that they've already made so that they can do things like reskin and add some, you know, additional scenes or different sort of content for that single game rather than have to start all over. So these games are always changing or being added on to. So that's a, an important limitation, but also speaks to how these games operate and their their funding models. Mm -hmm. um, they note that there's more study needed to explore the players and developers uh, because this study was on the content analysis of the games. And I think this is a very deft move to say, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions about uh, questions of motivation for developing and funding these sorts of games that we haven't gotten to here. And I, I love to see that. And then they have a great list in their limitation section on the future directions beyond what was already noted, including seven specific avenues of inquiry that I'm, I'm not going to read them all off, but it's specific sorts of content things uh, that they wanted to see follow up on. 
um, in in kind of porn uh, games. So they also identify the necessity of comparing Patreon with newer funding platforms such as OnlyFans and Subscribestar. Uh, so really, really, uh, I think... Um, elegant and savvy gaps and limitations that they lay out so that future researchers can uh, build on the wonderful work that these authors have done. Now, I'm so glad they had that section in there. I was thinking too, as I was reading through, there, there's a few things that made me think and go, hmm, hmm, but nothing that I would describe as a gap that they didn't address. So that was that was not a gaps for show. That was, I really do think that those are all the gaps of the article. Oh, I don't see anything else. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of wondered um, a little bit, and it's it's semantics, but I'm an academic, so forgive me for you know uh, engaging in semantics. But it it chafed at me. Maybe chafe is too strong of a word. The their use of you know aesthetics and culture to talk about design and mechanics yeah. uh, gave me pause is how I'll say it. Uh, they say like, we're, we're interested in exploring the aesthetics and culture of these games. Um, and then they talk about like mini maps and attitude systems and stuff that, that doesn't strike me necessarily as aesthetics or culture, but much more grounded in design decisions and, and like mechanics uh, choices in, in game mechanics. Um, so I, I thought that that was curious, but not anything that like makes me, you know, guffaw audibly or or any such visceral reaction. It just made me kind of go, huh, that's a choice. So I had a pause there as well, because I thought um, that that list that was answering the second question, they weren't consistent even with each other. Like some were mechanics, some were aesthetics, some were cultural things, you know, some were coming from games, some were coming from porn. So I was like, well, I don't know if this is really getting at your question, but um once i started researching the fo the folks who wrote this i was like i wonder if the delineation that they're coming from is either like a more european definition or like Very a more possibly. developer centered yeah because they're all in these you know more lab based than academic based um areas so i'm wondering if if internally in the games industry there's some nuance there that we don't have or maybe we as academics have nuance that that very possible. possible very possible yeah um but excellent point so uh what did i love about this i love the whole mm. idea of it we do a terrible even in academia in general like sexual motivations are an incredibly powerful part of humanity and art and culture and technology and we just so pretend it doesn't exist you know, in, and in it, America, yes, yeah. in America, for sure. And it's, it limits us and makes it, it really undercut some arguments sometimes. So I'm thrilled to see serious research about this topic. I think, in addition to that, they did such a thorough um, job and presented the facts as facts as opposed to trying to make an argument, which I kept wanting them to do. I kept wanting them to be like, so you're gonna say this is bad, right? Like, what are you gonna say that this is horrible, that this is happening? And they don't get anywhere near that. They just say, this is what it is. And it was refreshing to read. And it it was very needed in games uh, where we wanna pretend that that stuff doesn't exist or only talk about it as some negative thing all the time. So um, that's that's really what I, what I loved about it. What about you? 
Um, yeah, I really loved the discussion, um, or, or rather their point about uh, the kind of queerness being opt-in and based on reskinning. We've we've talked on, on that point a bunch already. I really liked um, that their kind of conclusion had some... It, that is where I thought they started making moves to set up argumentation about value statements. Yep. They didn't they didn't do that, to be clear. This is uh, a wonderfully balanced sort of piece. But there's really interesting uh, kind of positioning to examine how a lot of these games use the language mm -hmm. um, of Japanese porn games mm -hmm. to situate, you know, games such that these very white cis sort of avatars that the players play as can dismiss any sort of discomfort or taboo as being like well it's a japanese game yeah right so i i i don't have to subscribe that this is okay it's just a weird japanese game but i'm playing as somebody who looks you know like me yeah. potentially right so i there's positioning in the conclusion to explore that uh to reconcile that and explore that and, and potentially um nuance it in powerful ways and so i liked to see that as well yeah i think that they do a good job of bringing you just to the edge of a lot of arguments is like that, that another pun alex lane i refuse to be drugged to the mud by you here all right <laughs> Let's stay above board. Uh, sorry. Yes. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, so they do go right up to the edge and making several of those arguments and they absolutely set them up for you to take this uh, information, quote statistics and use it in your own um, in your own research, probably as you see fit. And uh, and I really think like in my mind and maybe it's just my background, what I kept going back to is like, man, this is mirroring the start of games. This really like the you know, games have diversified, they have, um, I don't know about make, people who make are making them, but certainly the focus and the content, we have hopefully more than just white male protagonists, and we have hopefully less othering and hopefully less exoticism and things like that happening. But my gosh, I really just was thinking, this, this really seems like games 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20, at least in the, you know, um, and I wonder if the, if, adult video games are going to follow a similar arc where they start realizing that the reason they're making these games all look the same is because all their developers look the same. And once they, and they say, they think that's the only market, you know, this white hetero male market, they're the only ones buying these games on Patreon, but maybe that will follow a similar arc and, and they will get more diversity behind the scenes, making these games, make games with more wide, meaningful options. And then the market could just explode. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know. In order to understand that, you'd have to understand like who's making the games, which is one of the limitations, right? Like we want to know who's making the games and who's funding and, and playing these games. Yeah. But my my hunch, my gut, uh, if I were going to try to jump into this research and do anything is that um, there is very likely what you suspect but they will not grow in the way that we've seen you know advances in non-adult games until they actually start doing more than just reskin and 
you know, create heteronormative and homonormative uh, gameplay until they actually queer the, you know, the mechanics and the narrative and not just the sort of visual aesthetics. Mm -hmm. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to replicate uh, or entice or tap into or whatever you want to uh, say any of the other demographics than the ones that they've already already got. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's my suspicion. Uh, so what I what I do want to add, though, as we sort of wrap up is at the end of this, uh, I was thinking about a lot of the questions you were thinking about in terms of value statements. And it got me thinking about a podcast that I've listened to uh, a little bit lately. Um, so I'll make a plug for this. Uh, it is the Ethics and Video Games podcast with uh, Shlomo Schur and Andy Ashcraft. Uh, there are three episodes, I think, uh, that sort of resonate with this topic. If people are interested in the ethical components of this sort of play, uh, and it was episode I wrote I wrote it down episode forty three, which featured uh, Rachel Cowart on the research about the connection between video games and violence, addiction, and sexism. But then there was also another episode a bit before that with Chris Bartell exploring the question of, is it ever morally wrong to enjoy fantasizing about immoral things? Because I think that was one where they talked about one of the games referenced in this article. They taught, It was like Rayplay from yep. like early 2000s. They talked explicitly about that game. And then they talked, there was an, another episode, I think it was titled Consent in Games. And so if you're interested in these topics from an ethical point of view, philosophical point of view, uh, I've I've really enjoyed that podcast. Oh, I'm so glad you say that because uh, we could sit and double the time of this podcast with my <laughs> my personal reactions and my discussions of morality and sexuality and porty porn, sex porn. But we don't have time for that, and that's not what we're doing here. So why don't you give us a bottom line? Uh, the bottom line is if you are at all interested in. Um, adult video games in their platforms in uh sort of the demography of of uh the content of them this is an invaluable article to read if you are at all interested in understanding um you know how homonormativity appears in in games this has great stuff for you and um Otherwise, you know, it's probably something that um, you can kind of pass on. But I will say, even if you are anxious uh, about some of the topics that they talk about, nothing is done in an egregious or explicit manner. Everything is very, very objectively, clinically discussed uh, and not graphically at all. Well, I, I second that. And uh, I'm super excited that you... We're here chatting with me and happy holidays and we'll hopefully get some recommendations from you listeners for our next podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me.